Welcome back to another episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. In this, our fifth episode, Ryan and I are joined by Mark Freestad to discuss his recent sermon on Jesus's parables in Mark chapter 4, 1 through 3, and really on the topic of what is a parable and why did Jesus use them. It's an excellent sermon. I encourage you to go listen to it if you haven't yet. You can find that on our app or on our podcast, our sermon podcast. Now, Mark has served the children and families of our church as a pastor on staff for 17 years. He's worn a lot of different hats, but has really overseen a birth through eighth grade alongside of wonderful people like Joan Stevenson. Mark happens to have his bachelor's in mass communications from Moorhead State University in Minnesota, as well as a bachelor's in social science education from Valley City State University in North Dakota, as well as a master's of divinity from Bethel Seminary in San Diego with a special focus on children and family. He is married to Allison, and they are the proud and beleaguered parents to a set of twins, Grayson and Blakely. Our conversation this week takes us to some fascinating territory. We reflect on belief as a form of dying, the centrality of curiosity to the life of faith as it's embodied in humility and courage, the unique power of parables and the role of paradox, unpacking the memorial view of communion, and at the very end, an alternative nerdy agricultural interpretation of the parable of soils, which is fitting given this is coming from our solid rooted Midwest Mark. Probably one of the the best reasons to have Mark on this podcast, besides his wit and his depth of wisdom, is the fact that that guy's got a voice made for podcasts and radio. So sit back and enjoy the melodious tunes of Mark and Ryan and I chirp it along as we explore this week's conversation. Mark Freestad, welcome to the Just Follow Jesus podcast, and uh, we are so stoked. Ryan, you're in the house with us today. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so pumped. <laughs> um, man, I just, I listened to your sermon this morning, and because I couldn't be here this last weekend, and I just was so profoundly grateful for it. You did an incredible, honestly, an incredible job at unpacking for us what parables are, why Jesus uses them, and um, this profound invitation that they offer each of us to sit with the story of Jesus and also the specific stories of the parables. I love that you didn't actually satisfy our, our appetite for what does the pair, what do the parables mean? You just, it's because I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> truth comes out. The truth comes out. Indeed. Just put it back on you. Uh, <laughs> well, um, Later, I'm going to ask you actually, though, what do the parables mean? So we'll see if we'll see if it, you actually have anything to say. I will do my best. Um, but yeah, just a joy and a, a privilege to get to sit down with you today. Um, the first part of this conversation, we always just pause for a second and kind of ask, hey, let's reflect in a pastoral capacity. You know, you have served at our church for how long? 17 years. Good grief. And how many yeah. different hats have you worn during that time? Uh, about three or four. Okay. Uh-huh. Three or four. And you're married to Allison. How I long, am. How long have you been married? Uh, since 2014. So we'll have our eight year coming up this fall. Congrats. This man performed our wedding. I oh. did indeed. I did indeed. What a privilege. <laughs> what a privilege. And you got the twins. Yes. And they're how old? Four and a half. Good Lord. Yeah. Where does the time grow? Yeah, the days are long and the years are short. That's what they say. <laughs> you're so efficient, Mark. It's like, why spread them out? Just get them all done at once. Boom. Done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we second guess that decision often, but as if you had a say in the matter. Yeah. 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 Wait, is there a way that you can just make sure to have twins? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's okay. what we're here to talk about—the technique for right. no, 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 guaranteeing twins. Yes. Um, well, in that 17 years that you've served here at the church, you have worn a lot of different hats, but most of them have all been connected to um, youth in our church in some capacity. Yep. Youth, kids. Yep. Awesome. From birth all the way up through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. But that means that you have a unique perspective on our church and what you've seen God doing there. And so this, I kind of want to ask you, hey, after a weekend of preaching, um, did you have any, or even as you were preparing, did you have any sense of how God is moving in our church right now? And that could be in a positive way, or that could be in kind of a, a painful way. Yeah. Well, 
I told a little parable about myself to illustrate what a parable was. And I said, this truly was the week the car where you go in to get an oil change and they say, guess what? You've got a dozen other things that need to be done and it's going to cost you thousands of dollars. And that truly was the week. But this is the thing. When you're on to preach, you got to be ready. Mm -hmm. There's no phoning it in and delaying for another week. Like you just, you've got to be ready. You got to pull it together. So I thought about that, you know, um, in the midst of a church of our size, there are always people suffering. Mm. And sometimes it's suffering silently. And sometimes it's suffering absently because they just can't bring themselves to come to church. So, so we have to, because you're on, it's your weekend. You know, you've, you've got, well, no matter what happens, you've got to pull that message together. Um, but I thought about that in the context of people who are suffering. And I know some of them, uh, there's been some heavy stuff going on. But for every situation I know, there's 10 other ones that I don't know. I don't have mm -hmm. any idea. And that was just my encouragement to people was no matter what is going on, uh, life can seem to be falling apart or you've lost your moorings or mm -hmm. the unexpected has come in and hit you this week. Please feel like you should be here. Please come to church. Please don't make this the week that you skip or get out of the habit. Mm -hmm. um, please feel that you belong here because of brokenness. Um, we value brokenness. Jesus wants to heal the brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so, so please be here. Um, so there's been brokenness, you know, in our community. Again, people who I know of, people that we work with here within the walls, but certainly brokenness that we don't know anything about. And we want to be here to minister to people's souls. We, yeah, we certainly want to celebrate the joyful things with them. And we want to cheer them on when life's going great. Um, but equally, I would like to think that our church is a place that wants to come alongside and and um, console them when that's needed and encourage them mm -hmm. when encouragement is needed. And let's do it. Let's do it as the body of Christ together. Jeez, I so appreciate that perspective. We often in this first kind of space in the podcast spend time reflecting on a lot of the joys or the wins about how we've seen God. Hey, meeting people through the, the you know, through the journal, families being connected as they're studying scripture together or people giving their lives and, which is obviously amazing. And we want to celebrate those, but isn't it also true that oftentimes the work of the Holy spirit is the uncovering of those places of pain so that they can be brought to community so that they can be brought to Jesus where they can be ministered to because absolutely we, you cannot do it alone. We do not want you to suffer alone. And so, yeah, genuine, genuine hope and prayer. I know of this church staff, you know, fr from the staff to uh, everybody who's involved is that we would be known as a community that's safe uh, where people can bring their broken parts and where we can see God come and meet and minister to them. Well, so. Suffering is not a diversion from the discipleship journey. Mm -hmm. It is part of the discipleship journey. Oh, come on. So um, on Thursday afternoon, when I was finally sitting down to connect all the dots of the little scraps of paper I'd written ideas on during the week and notes on my phone and, oh, where was that idea mm -hmm. kind of thing. And at about three o'clock, I got a text from a kid who'd grown up at this church who just is going through a really hard time and said, can I, we meet up tonight and talk? Mm. And I had to say, no, I'm <laughs> sorry. Like the week is gone and I have to get this message ready, but I'll make time for you after services on Sunday. Mm. And, um, you know, we just, we just need to account for that, that, that life's going to throw curveballs. Suffering isn't a diversion. It's part of the journey. And so let's, let's bring all of who we are, um, into whether it's sitting with other people's suffering or dealing with our own suffering. Um, but we don't have to have it all together. I mean, that's, that's church, right? It's bringing all of who we are. Mm -hmm. So good, man. Well said, free stuff. Well See, that's why we get this guy up there to preach. Got to hear this stuff. Absolutely. He, he's always bringing a perspective that we haven't thought he's about. He's not just a bunch of good looks. He isn't. Voice. Or the, <laughs> the <Someone>. voice. <laughs> so much wanna, more. Ryan, would you like to join me in confessing your insecurity on this podcast that we're having? We're in conversation. We're in voice with, envy? Yeah, we're having voice envy. <laughs> yes. I, you, I have the headphones on. And so I, I really, it's like he's speaking directly into my, my skull and it's beautiful. But let's move on. <laughs> uh, okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, so deeper dive into some of the elements of this sermon, because there is a lot of ground that you covered, and there's a lot to appreciate, and we're not going to rehash some of the things that you did really well. 
But Ryan and I both have a couple of different spaces that we'd like to to ask you a clarifying question or just push you a little bit deeper and see if, hey, let's let's unpack that and have uh, there's some more meat there that would be worthwhile to chew on together that we we have a sense that other people would probably be asking some of these questions yeah. too. I did make a little joke at the beginning of the message and I said this was one of those passages of the Bible that kind of preaches itself because mm-hmm. it's a parable. Then Jesus explains the parable and you you read it and you say, how in the world am I going to talk for 30 minutes about this? Jesus just gave the answer. But I thought it was going to be a message about parables and it really became a message about belief. Mm. I thought it would be parables, explain parables, explain the kingdom of God that the parables are pointing to. But the hinge point in all of it was belief. And that surprised even me. Yeah. It was a message about belief. I love that you pointed that out because one of my favorite points that I I wrote down, I wanted to ask you about came at the very end of the message. And I listened to the second service and you made this almost passing comment about how belief is actually a form of dying. And I, I said, hang on a second. That was a real moment, dude. It was. And I've never, I've genuinely never heard anybody phrase it like that. And you just, you briefly unpacked it, but I come on like where did that come from? And and what do you see going on there? Yeah, it came to me late in my preparation, maybe on Saturday afternoon. And I thought I would just throw that out there. I was I was thinking of the moment in John chapter 12, where Jesus, and he's speaking of himself, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it mm. can't become this new wonderful thing. And so he's prophesying, I'm going to die, you're going to lose me, but but it's going to become so much more, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that's true in our lives as well, as long as we hold on and grip so tightly to the status quo and to the kingdom that we've built around ourselves, we've got to let that go. And we think if I let it go, I'm losing. But Jesus says the opposite is true. The paradox is by letting it go, you're, you're gaining, Mm. you're gaining me and you're gaining access to a wonderful life that you never comprehended was even possible before. So for those, because I think there are going to be some people who will be listening to this and maybe didn't actually listen to the sermon. And did you include that that comment in each of the three services? Believing is a form of dying. Uh-huh. He did. Yeah. Okay, so could you just re-articulate for me, what do you mean when you say believing is a form of dying? Yeah, to believe, I have to give up some things that I've really clung tenaciously to, maybe even built my life around. Um, old beliefs. Old beliefs foundational beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the choice between believing naturalism or supernaturalism. Naturalism is very attractive. I can prove it. I can quantify it. I can describe it. Supernaturalism, well, there's always going to be an air of mystery to that. Mm-hmm. But I can't go deeper in my faith and in my belief if I'm completely naturalistic in my, in my worldview, my mm-hmm. outlook. I've got to allow that, hmm... Maybe there's something out there that I can't explain. No one has ever adequately explained. So I'm going to die to that old belief of I've got to have it all explained to me mm-hmm. and open myself to the possibility of spiritual reality, which is supernaturalism. Yeah. And I love, thanks for clarifying. And I love the way that in the sermon you did, you did kind of make that clear that, Hey, so often in our culture, um, which is particularly a head-based culture, a knowledge-based culture, rather than an, a, an experienced, um, you know, experiential knowing that we do this process of, well, hey, you know, give me the data, let me let me assess it, and then I'll decide whether or not I'll take the leap of faith to believe. And you said, actually, wait, well, that's something that Jesus subverts and says, in the world of spiritual truth, yeah, if you bring a teacup, you're going to get a teacup. Or mm-hmm. if, you're, if you bring a bushel, he's going to fill that up, you know. Um, so I, I think that's something that while it was such a small comment, I wanted us to park there for a little bit because it totally, it totally challenges the dominant head-based narrative that we live in all the time, which is, yeah, scientific materialism. It's actually even really, it challenges the whole Christian apologetics industry as well, which is very much based on, okay, well, Hey, how do I prove whether it's the historical Jesus or you know, how do I prove from a head-based perspective why you should take the leap of faith? And really, God, you know, Jesus, we see in Mark says, hey, come follow me. It's the, yeah. And 
man, like we, we should be curious about what was so compelling about him that they just walked away from everything in response to that profoundly simple invitation. Yeah. What was it that they saw? What was it that they felt inside mm-hmm. their hearts? Uh, what was it that they experienced? The, the Bible doesn't fully say. Yes. Uh, but James Smith, you know, he's a Christian sociologist and an author. He has said that we believe first with our hearts, then with our heads. So there is something in us that we are determined to believe. We go, oh, that seems right. Feels right. I just know that is right. And then we fill in the pieces of the, you know, the knowledge pieces after that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, Jesus came to the world first to capture people's hearts because we're going to have all eternity to learn about who he really is. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in heaven, we're going to gaze on God and never have enough of it. He's just infinite. And so it's not about boxing him in or containing him in a, in a booklet somewhere mm-hmm. and then making our decision based on that. Um, it really is believing, which is, which is trusting. It's putting to death some of my hardened skepticism, putting to death my demand that no, 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 I want the contract signed and I need all 52 provisions before I will give my life to him. Mm. Uh, it, it's been said, you know, anytime you say yes to something, you're saying no to a hundred other things. Well, all of those no's represent a form of dying, right? I'm saying no to that path or that opportunity uh, or that possibility in my life in order to say yes to this. And Jesus is asking us to make a very intelligent choice, but it's a very scary choice <laughs> okay? to forsake all others. Um, the language of the Old Testament would be as you, as you walk, you know, you walk on the straight path, do not turn aside to the left or to the right. But with every step you take, you just keep walking in the path of God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a series of yeses and nos. More nos than yeses, honestly. Mm-hmm. Okay, nerd hour real quick. Yeah. Nerd moment. Come on. The idea that the heart can know before the brain is actually physiologically true. I don't know if you knew that, but the heart actually has what uh, medical researchers call the little, a little brain. There's actually a network of neurons that are specifically attached around the heart. But they, in research, um, they've found that the heart will register an, an immediate threat before the brain. Mm-hmm. And they can wow. detect that by the release of hormones that are triggered by those nervous systems, by that, by those neurons. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So there's really, in, literally, physiologically, there are instances where the heart knows, if we look at the neuron as a knowing type of like mm-hmm. uh, uh, cell, yep. knows things before the brain does. Okay. That's very interesting. But it's an, it's an analog. No, that's good. So then what is the difference between the crowds, the unbelieving crowds, and the disciples, or the, the parts of the people in the crowds who would end up following Jesus? Because they're all seeing the same Jesus, right? Mm. So why is he registering differently on a heart level and on a, on a... Why are disciples and other followers, yeah, I'm willing to believe that guy. I'm willing to follow him, and others weren't. Well, isn't that what the parable of the soils is partly about? I think it's describing the reality for sure. Yep. Yeah. It's saying you're all going to see me. You're all seeing the things that I'm doing and you're all hearing me describe myself as I am, you know, from above and I'm bringing the kingdom of God into your midst. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of you are going to respond to it and it's going to take root in your heart and it's going to grow something brand new and beautiful and profound and wonderful And others of you, for a little while, you'll be thrilled. And then you just, you know, it's going to fizzle out. And others of you, you're going to be hardened against it. Hmm. Um, And so, so why doesn't God thrill the heart in the same way from person to person? Mm -hmm. And I can't adequately answer that. You can't, but I like, so when you asked that question, you know, what immediately happened in me is I, like an image began to build in my mind of the crowds on that lake shore and yeah why why are some people on the edge of their seat just being enthralled and drawn in by Jesus's teaching by his person his presence his power these parables and why are other people perhaps i could imagine some of them with their arms crossed i can imagine a couple of pharisees there in the crowd 
uh, you know, tisk, tisking. Tisk, tisking and yes. saying, well, actually, that was <clears throat> that was the incorrect gloss on that Hebrew word. <laughs> um, you know, like he's totally misappropriating Isaiah right there. Right. Uh, I wouldn't know anything about that. It's not like I did that for years in church. So the the point being, you drew me into the story with that question, and. Well, we could speculate and it would be fun to speculate and actually probably even helpful to, to some degree because, well, yeah, we don't know people's pasts and their stories. And what are the, what are some of the biggest obstacles that we see to people experiencing a flourishing life? Well, I mean, generational sin, trauma, PTSD, addiction. I mean, all those things were still present back in Jesus's day. And so what what calluses or scar tissues have built up around people's hearts that have made them, um, you know, negatively postured towards any spiritual truth or reality? That's There's, a great point. Mm. That's really good. Yeah, it, we did, they didn't have the names for them that we have now, the labels that we hang on them, mm-hmm. but it was certainly present back at that time. That's right. Yeah, and it seems that Mark though focuses on the response. Yeah, like he's looking at responses, like how people respond and there's ways we can respond to God, his presence and activity that continues to open our capacity to receive more Mm -hmm. insight. Like I talked about the measure you give is the measure you get more. And so uh, when you look at Mark, what's the measure you give? Well, it's in one way it's, you could say it's faith, the faith, the belief that you're bringing, but the way that Mark does it is not the way that maybe that Paul would analyze it he kind of puts it into a narrative form. And so we're looking at what people do. And that's so helpful to me. That's immensely practical. It's like, okay, we could, we could, you know, in today's therapeutic age, we want to, we want to dive into the psychology of it. You know, Mark does dive into psychology to some degree. He is the most emotional of all the gospels. He records the emotion of the crowds, the people, uh, Jesus. Um, but what he does so practically is lay out the responses that open us to have increasing insight and increasing responsiveness to God, positive responsiveness. And he shows us the responses that will ensure a narrowing of our openness to God and a decreased capacity to respond positively Mm. to him. And that gets me to one of the things that was, that stood out to me. You asked a great question. Um, You were asking, how do we know, why does Jesus divulge the insight of the parable to the disciples? Right. And you, you kind of really drew us in. Why is he bringing them in? Why are they on the inside and everybody else is on the outside? And then uh, you asked a question. You kind of just asked pretty directly, um, why do they, how do we know they believe? How do we know the disciples believed? And in your response was because they followed him. And I think that's absolutely right. Because, and I think what it looks like in each scene, each chapter has nuance to it. Yeah. And, the thing that grabbed me about the disciples in that moment was that they were willing to ask Jesus. He goes, how will you then understand any parable? So the disciples are given understanding because they follow him because they, they have belief. What did they do? What they didn't have is understanding of the parable. So faith doesn't necessarily mean, or to believe yep. doesn't mean I understand. That's right. Which I think is super reassuring. Yep. It's not like you have this sort of elitist, like, picture of some people have it, some people don't. Right. And people can feel like that. What do the disciples have? And what I was drawn to, and you kind of really drew this out with the box, the gold box. Oh yeah. The gold like, box. Like I'm looking at this, like, hmm, what's it, wonder what's in there. Yeah. All of that was portraying this image of curiosity. And the disciples are willing to ask the question, what did it mean? Now, what's interesting is that Mark in his story is making a point. The Pharisees are not asking a sincere question. Later, they ask questions, but they're asking to trap him. And Mark is clear about that. Just so you know, guys, yeah, they're asking, but he's clear. And there he gives us motive. So we don't confuse their question asking with the disciples. Now they're asking, they're curious, is not sincere. They're doing it to trap him. There's something about asking questions and bringing those questions with a sincere heart, with an openness. To God, to the Christian community. And to me, that to me is so freeing and liberating. I don't have to understand it. I just have to be willing to just admit, I don't know. And willing to ask for help. Right. That grabs me. And that really, I think it was illustrated too, by what you did with Jeff Rankey, opening up 
in that moment. Hey, I don't understand this moment I'm in. And you allowed Jeff to speak into that moment where he said, hey, it's not just going through a hard thing. It's learning to see God with you in that hard thing. Right? Remember that story at the very end of your message? Yes, but it wasn't Jeff Franke, although oh, okay. he'll take the credit. I'm oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, Jeff. Be, he'll be happy that you credited him. <laughs> I just read that uh, in. Sorry, but Jeff it, but it is Jeff Bose, who is one of our wonderful volunteers oh, on yeah. the prayer team. I love that yes. guy. And I saw him today. Very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, honestly, you come and have Jeff pray for you. It's not going to feel weird at all. But it's going to be, there's going to be something supernatural at work Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. that you don't even need to utter a word. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit about that. I don't know what it was that on that Monday afternoon, I just thought, I want Jeff to pray for me right now because he's prayed for me before. But it's not like, you know, an every week kind of thing or whatever. But I just went in and he was almost astonished to see me. And normally you fill out a little card at the beginning and you write down what your prayer need is. And then they pray over that and then they open it up and look at it. And he sort of incredulously looked at me and said, you're not going to write anything down. And I said, no, you're just going to pray for me. Just go, just go. Come on. And he could sense what was going on and put into some words, um, the truth of what was happening. And it was very helpful. But see, there is something, even that example, because the willingness to go to him and to ask mm-hmm. for prayer, mm-hmm. right? Which we're always doing every weekend, inviting people to come receive prayer. But mm-hmm. there is like a kind of an odd mixture of humility and courage. Totally. Which isn't that actually a very interesting way to define curiosity. Humi- yeah. A combination of humility and cur- courage. It's, why is it courageous to well, be curious? Why is it courageous to be curious? Because it requires, it requires movement on your part. You know, um, you have to get down to look at the thing on the ground. You have to, you have to raise your hand in the class to ask the question oh, and, to, right. and to risk being wrong or to looking stupid or looking confident right. and to, or, or look incompetent. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's curiosity is courageous because it requires you to admit that you don't know or have it all together. Yes. That's why in godly play, which is what I was demonstrating with the gold box, when you're working with children, you encourage um, divergent responses. Mm. So the materials inside the box, which I didn't get to that point in the sermon, but when you take the materials out, I'll show you someday. I'll show you. But when you take the materials out, they, they are something. You're going to use them to tell a story, but you begin by saying, oh, here's a, a big piece of green felt. I wonder what this could be. Mm-hmm. And you accept all sorts of responses because you are rewarding curiosity in kids. Curiosity is a sign of weakness. Really? Right? Amongst adults. Uh, sure. Or, or amongst anybody in religious it's, communities. Yes. It's, 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 that- it's the ability to admit, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I want to know. And I want to know because I don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's curiosity. And that's a sign of vulnerability. Yeah. And, and but in weakness. a religious community, the only way to safeguard yourself against heresy or the encroachment of a secular ideology is to be certain. Aggressive certainty. Aggressive mm-hmm. certainty. Yeah. And there is the courage. Right there. I can see. I get makes sense to me. And so what the disciples are doing is just... Uh, it's courageous to, to the prideful part of us. That's where come back to belief is a form of dying. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And really I was going to ask, Hey, this all has been birthed out of a conversation that was rooted in this question of, Hey, it became a sermon that hinged around belief. You thought it was going to be about parables, but really it was about belief. So are we actually suggesting, did we just discover perhaps that a working definition for us of belief is Posture of curiosity, which is when we unpack that a combination of courage and humility. And to your point, Ryan, uh, Mark is constantly, when we were imagining the different people that make up the crowds that also populate our church or whoever's going to listen to this podcast, that yeah, we don't know what issues they may be bringing in. They, we don't know the the silent pains or sufferings or the the things that have. Um, grips on people's hearts where they're, they're shackled and they're, they're not as free to encounter the presence of Jesus and to experience his power, his peace or his healing. Uh, it's belief is just the next step for wherever you're at. It's going to look different. Some people, uh, maybe for whatever reason, they haven't experienced great wounding yet. And so that there's a, there's an openness and a sensitivity to the, the world of the spirit 
and they can say an easy yes when they first encounter the presence of Jesus. Um, and so for them, it's this, this wonderful, you know, their, their responsive belief is to just jump right in. But for other people, uh, they've got a lineage of pain. And so for them, uh, you know, belief looks like just being willing to abandon cynicism for a moment to ask one question and to be like, well, maybe, maybe there is something to this. Yeah. And it's not a soft mindedness where you're just letting everything in indiscriminately either. Um, And you don't see Jesus at all inviting them to that. And that's why I think we're constantly seeing what, that what Jesus is doing and what he is saying in a way is not new. It is completely and totally reinforced in the old Testament. Mm. Like what we see Jesus saying and doing is constantly echoed through the old Testament. So it's, but it does run against the grain of their traditions, the ways in which they have interpreted things themselves mm-hmm. and are clinging to. There's a passage of scripture in Hebrews that says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not and see. Mm-hmm. And I, but I think the confusing part then is that you think that means that I be curious is to go against that confidence. Right. Right. See, see belief is this weird mix of openness and receptivity to the mystery. And there may be things that I can't fully know. There's so it's, it's that, but it's also confidence, full assurance of the things that we can't see. And if you've ever, ever taken strengths finder, Clifton strengths finder, which ranks your 35 strengths in order. But sometimes people come through with the, the gift or the strength of belief. Mm-hmm. And so this is why everybody should desire belief because it, it has both the yin and the yang, both mm-hmm. sides of it, right? Mm-hmm. Belief can mean I'm really confident uh, and I'm optimistic, like things are going to work out. And it can also be um, I'm not so aggressively darn right that I'm open to the possibility that there's more that I don't know. And I am curious about those things. Mm. So however you are suited, I mean, you know, by my nature, I'm kind of a melancholic, like I'm kind of a <laughs> pessimist, right? And I'm I'm always like, well, yeah, but what about, I don't think that's going to work or whatever. So someone <laughs> with a gift of belief can be annoying to me because I'm like, but you're not considering all the things that I'm considering. You're just such an optimist. Um, but the truth is it's both. Mm. It's, it's optimism and it's a deep realism of just realizing how small you are and what, how incredibly mm-hmm. in need you are of this mm-hmm. thing. I mean, it's when we get to Mark nine that the guy comes to Jesus and he is desperate, desperate because his son is possessed by a demon, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus, if you can, can you make my son well? And Jesus says, if I can, you know, come on, man, anything. That's a great example to people who believe. Mm-hmm. Well, you, I love your description there because you're naming a paradox, which is also what parables are. And you, you got to that some, and I loved how you, you were clear that the intent of Jesus as a teacher who is using parables as an, as a predominant way of communicating. I mean, I think throughout the gospels, there's over 70 different parables that are accounted for. It's a massive tool that he uses in his teaching ministry, but it's not designed. Yes, there is. We see that there are the crowds and then there is the core you know, so there is a difference and there's a difference in people's ability to perceive or to understand. But Jesus's desire that you hit, you hit this point. His desire is to be known. His yes. desire is to communicate something. 100%. Right. And yet it is a paradox and a paradox is, you know, we are, we're, we're binary people and our culture, particularly the West and the mechanistic posture philosophically and otherwise, you know, we want to, like we've talked about, we want to understand, we want everything to fit. We want it to be sequential. Um, and really in the, in the spiritual world, we encounter paradox often, which is two truth claims that see that live in tension. Yeah. That Jesus is God and man. Right. Absolutely. Or that a parable is simple and clear and it's deep and confounding. Right. And, um, all sufficient, and frustratingly insufficient. Yes. Revealing and yet uh, withholding. Yeah. 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 Right. Which brings us, we've actually in previous episodes, we've, we've said it briefly, but when we use the word mystery, 
oftentimes people misunderstand that and it creates a sense of fear when we talk about the mystery of God. Yeah. And my favorite way that I've heard it described yeah, in is, the Gnostic religions. Yes, exactly. And they used it as a way of creating benchmarks of elitism. Like if mm-hmm. you didn't, you, you know, the mysteries were hidden from the, the, if you were lower on the totem pole, yes, yeah. but the people higher up had the inside on all the mysteries and secrets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yes. So that's not, Jesus isn't creating a, a, a Gnosticism, you know, but we, the church often really does. And that's, I mean, that's something that we need to own. We need to repent. We, you know, Hey, the radical, or was it the aggressive, uh, belief or you used the term earlier, aggressive, certainty. aggressive certainty, you know, yeah. Hey, you have to believe X, Y, Z, or, you know, um, before you can be in, otherwise you're, you're out. But a long way of, of saying, Hey, my favorite definition of mystery I've heard is that it's not that God is unknowable. It's that he's infinitely knowable and that parables, the longer that we wrestle with them, well, yeah, there's a, there is a simple truth that anybody, you they don't need to know, you don't need to have a, you know, an MDiv or something to pick up scriptures, to read Jesus' teaching and to engage in the, the power of his like parables and teaching. Yeah. And the longer that we sit with them, the longer that we come back to them, there's like, it's like an onion. There's a, there's another level. There's another layer. Well, to your point, it's not about this, you know, do you have the, do you have the right answer? And then you're letting the door. Uh huh. The disciples don't understand the parables any more than the crowds. Mm hmm. And to your point, it's that the disciples are willing to come closer and ask. Mm-hmm. Reverse is like, why, well, you know, like maybe the Pharisees, we can safely assume they walk away with their assumptions. They walk away with their assumption versus like, and I, what was so good about you, the challenge you gave at the end was encouraging people, go and tackle, grab one of these parables, go and think it through. Take time to reflect on it. Don't just come get it. Go and seek, become a seeker. Let the, let the parable stir your curiosity. Let it stoke that curiosity in our culture of busyness and efficiency and everything has to just, I don't have time. I need it. I need it ASAP. I need it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, Too long. Didn't read. Give yeah. me the cliff notes. Yeah. I think I've mentioned this only in the Sunday night services. So this would not have made the podcast, but it's kind of like there are things that words fail And so your relationship with your spouse, your love for your children, you can write stories and poems and songs about it, but you can't fully capture it in words. It's something bigger than that. And so the disciples are willing to believe Jesus and deal with him on a flesh and blood level where they realize we may not fully ever get this guy and Mm -hmm. people to put him in a box as opposed to a cold, distant analytical level. Where again, I need all clauses of the contract before I'm going to sign and give mm-hmm. my life to you. Yeah. Well, that's. I didn't it. know what I was getting into when I married my wife. Yeah. And eight years in, I'm still discovering it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's uh-huh. surprises. Whoa, <laughs> that's a surprise. I did not know. And I couldn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. But that's the journey with Jesus, right? You, you don't know. What, what do you think is Allison's biggest surprise with you? Oh. <laughs> She's got me all Let's open out. this gold box. The gold <laughs> box of free stuff. Hmm, I wonder. Just what ask. is this? She'll tell you. Uh, you know, maybe we will. Maybe we'll have a we'll have a, an episode where we bring your guys' spouses. The spouses. On say, all right. <laughs> that would go viral. I'm a simple man. I'm easy to understand, but she's got all these layers of complexity to her. But that's part of the fun and that's part of the journey, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, they say when you marry someone too much like you, you think it's great, but there's no spark in those relationships. Mm. People quickly grow bored because you're just like living with yourself. Mm -hmm. And we seek out people who are very different. It takes friction to mix the sparks, homie. There you go. We seek out people who are very different (laughs) because the mystery is actually fascinating. And how will Mm -hmm. you ever fully know your spouse? You won't. Mm-hmm. How do you ever fully know Jesus? You won't, but the journey and the fun is in getting to know him. Like mm-hmm. you said, peeling back the layers of the onion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the example that you give there, the relational one, the because fundamentally that's an experiential knowing, which is what the gospel, which is what Jesus invites us into through the parables, which is what yeah. ultimately, Hey, you know, so when we, and maybe we can pivot to, pivot to nerd zone in, in some capacity. Cause we've been, um, we've been cruising a bit and we got to wrap up, yep. 
But, you know, parables, the point of them, in many ways, they only make sense if you're connected to the person of Jesus. And they invite you into that. Not in this head level. Back to your wonderfully nerdish anecdote about you know, the network that's around the heart, how the heart actually really does know first in a lot of ways, Mm. Um, which is, can be complemented by the fact that, well, actually the gut works the same way. You know, I was reading this book, the mind gut connection. It's just astounding at how much, how much our body Mm. knows about our environment, about a person, even about ideas that is presented. You mentioned earlier, Hey, when you know, like, you know, how do you know something that's true? I don't, I don't know. I just know that it's true. And then I, then I get curious and I investigate and I try and map why it is true and articulate it in an intelligible way. Um, so in this last few minutes in nerd zone, any, any important things that we, you know, that got left on the cutting room floor or just, you know, fun stuff. We've already had a rich conversation about all sorts of things about the importance of belief, how it's a form of dying. We've, We've talked about parables some, some more. We've, um, you know, I did kind of want to ask a question at some point. This little, this little throwaway question, but at the end, you know, we did communion this last week and you were really clear about saying how we as a church, you know, we, we take a memorial view of, and I was like, oh, he's like, we don't often explicitly state that here. And so part of me is like, huh, I mean, do, do we want to juxtapose that briefly with the sacramental view? Like, why do, why do we take the memorial view of it um versus other views we don't have to go there we can i think it's an interesting one um but it's not necessarily connected to mark yeah i just like him uh you know i would just say it's part of our spiritual heritage we are evangelical protestants and evangelical protestants have taken a memorial view of the sacraments so that people don't lose sight of the fact that salvation comes from Jesus plus nothing. Mm. Not the number of times that I take communion or the brand of bread or wine that I use. Oh, that's not wine. It's grape juice. Like it's not in the particulars of that. Mm -hmm. So we can certainly believe that Jesus is, is spiritually present with us because there's nowhere that he's not spiritually present. Um, But the, the wafer and the juice that we consume, they're symbols. They're, they're things that we do to remember him. Um, I just don't think biblically the case is there, uh, that, that, I mean, people will connect John chapter six, right? That's the sacramental view that in John chapter six, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And so then they connect it to the last supper and they say, when Jesus said, you're going to eat the bread, you're actually consuming me. And that's the, the trans sub, uh, trans substantiation view mm-hmm. or Lutherans believe the consubstantiation view uh, that Jesus is mystically there in the elements, I would say, no, Jesus is with us in our worship services, just as surely as he's with you right now, as you're listening to this podcast or walking down the street or swimming laps. Um, so that's, that's just why I pointed that out. I didn't want to overstate the case mm-hmm. of us being with Jesus and celebrating that relationship, that mystical relationship in the kingdom of God and saying communion makes it happen. Communion doesn't make it happen. Communion just those symbols represent this this intangible reality. Mm. Jeez, I really didn't know what I was going to get when I asked that question, and that was a home run. You'd think the guy <laughs> had just like uh, pulled it off the internet right there. I know. <laughs> but he did not. Um, the wonder of Freestat. You know, okay, just let's give a, just a couple of weird little nerdy nuggets, because I, I know I've got one, and I know I asked you ahead of time. You've got one yeah. about pl- plowing soil, so let's... Yeah. We're, we are here to talk about Mark and not communion. So let's end with some more Mark with Mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what was the fun thing that you, you loved when I asked earlier, Hey, is there anything that you, you came across when you're studying for this, that didn't make it into the sermon? You're like, well, actually there was one thing. Yeah. In agriculture at that time, it was common to throw the seed out first and then plow the soil. Mm. And the act of plowing would um, upset the soil so that the seed could go deep enough to take root. And so it's not that the sower was foolish to cast seed on the path that wasn't Mm -hmm. an accident or an oops. It was what they would really do. Um, The path wasn't, you know, paved or anything like that. It was just the place that people walked. And so you would throw seed everywhere. Then the plow would come along and it would um, till up the weeds or the 
the path or whatever was there and wherever it could take root, it would take root. Mm -hmm. But the point was sometimes the birds would swoop down and get that seed before the plow could come along and get it into the soil. And so that's the picture that Jesus is playing off of. Mm. Which I, I really like that because it often, in some ways it complicates the, the typical way I've heard this parable talked about, which is often that, well, what's the soil of your heart, Ryan? Do you have hard and rocky soil? Are there weeds growing there? Or are, do you have soil where the seed of the gospel is going to, you know, and almost it's putting this pressure on you right. of saying, well, it's up to you to make sure that you have good soil. Now, obviously, of yeah. course, like that's a popular interpretation of this because yes, agency matters. I mean, we've come back to that time and time again. Hey, it, we have power to respond regardless of where we're at in, yeah, our, in and, our spiritual relationship. Yeah. And the grace of the passage is the seed. Mm-hmm. The seed is good. Yes. And that's the grace. Um, but there is a human side to it mm-hmm. and there is, but there is, I, I'd push back a little bit. Uh, when Jesus goes to the interpretation, he does go into, yeah, you, you're allowing the, the, the worries of his life to choke out the word. That's clearly something that we have agency over. We mm-hmm. can choose to allow that or we can shift our attention to God mm-hmm. or we can allow ourselves to be carried away by it. It, to me, it seems like when he uses agricultural parables, it's a beautiful intersection of both human involvement and agency. There's something that we can do. And yet the grace of growth, no matter what a farmer does, they are not the one that makes the seed what it is. Mm. They do not implant the DNA in there, nor are they in the seed unpacking and unfurling its genetic code so that it grows into a plan. That, that part they, we don't do. Mm-hmm. That's the grace of God. Absolutely. So, it, um, but I think that Jesus really is trying to not put a burden on us. I think he's creating an invitation. Like, Hey, there's a way that you can respond. That's going to allow more of my, of God, my father's kingdom into your life. And there's a way that you can respond. That's going to limit it. Mm-hmm. What do you want? You want more or less? And that's what I think you got to with, the measure you give is the measure you get. What are you willing to bring? And I think that that's where it's, it's a both and for me. Yeah. And on that issue of agency, like, did you allow the weeds to be present in your life and the worries about the world? So there's probably a reason that when he chose the 12, he chose for the most part, very simple, uncomplicated people to follow him because they had a good chance of bearing great fruit. The possible exception of Levi Right. Because he was skimming profits off the top of tax collecting. So probably living a pretty comfortable life. He had a lot to give up. And what type of soil was Judas? Yeah. What, what would you say? Oh, I did a whole message on just I have my opinion about Judas. And I think in the end it was greed that undid him. Yeah. Just because I'm just going on the gospel narratives without right. reading into his character. Yep. He was the only disciple recorded with a secret sin. And I think mm-hmm. we all know the power of a secret hidden sin is that it takes on magnitude in our life that we never anticipated and make us do things that are complete. We never saw ourselves doing or mm. other people. We see that in history and public figures all the time. How did that person do that? Mm. Somewhere there was a hidden sin. It did not just sneak up and surprise them. Yeah. Whatever the act was that got them in trouble. And Judas was, was, was hiding the money. And there's instances where you see Judas more concerned about the money than the people, the woman who brings the anointing oil, and he's more concerned about what the value of the anointing oil was and about what she's doing for Jesus. Mm. And I think he would, that would put him squarely in the third. He received it. I give him the benefit of the doubt. He received it. Mm-hmm. He really had a, a sincere, good start, but there was something competing with Jesus, his love for wealth. And he just, like you said, wasn't quite willing to let that die. And I think we are uncomfortable with the fact that we have some role in it, but that's the very point of repentance. Mm-hmm. That's God saying the kingdom of, of God has come. That's grace. Yep. But you have to repent and mm-hmm. that's human agency. And that's the, the dignifying of us being made in God's image that I love about Jesus. It's not a, it's not a manipulative relationship. It's not a coercive one. Yeah. It's a non-controlling as we would say in North coast Calvary chapel, mm-hmm. adult to adult. In yeah. fact, yeah, so I, I did cite Mark one fifteen, where Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. You did. I focused on believe, 
I gave short shrift to repent. <laughs> Don't so worry. I, in. <laughs> I, I hereby repent for cheapening the full gospel message in that message because I didn't talk about repenting at all. Oh. But I agree with you, Ryan. Well, I'm the professional repenter around here. I'm <laughs> repenting every day, so it comes up a lot for me. Oh, no, 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 it. dude. I repent. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you, this seems like a great, uh, I'm, t- I'm tempted here because that's, that perspective on Judas is such a beautiful one. And it, it makes me want to then dive into some of the rest of the disciples because Judas, Judas obviously gets the worst rap than Thomas in lots of ways. It's like, well, Thomas doubted, you know? Um, but really, you know, yeah, every single one of the disciples has this level of brokenness at different points throughout the gospel narrative that we can each identify with and that are probably in some ways archetypal, you know, it's like, hey, these are these are postures or these are spirits uh, like that we can easily see in ourselves or we can slip our way into if we deviate from the narrow path that you talked about earlier. And if we forsake the the coupling of repentance and belief. So um, I'm really grateful for this conversation. We could probably go for another 45 minutes Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's get buckle up, everybody. That was just the first half. No, um, (laughs) and part two. Yeah. Well, hey, free sad. We're just so grateful for you, man, and for your unique perspective and everything that you put into this this sermon. Um, Thanks for 17 years of loving and serving the families and the kids of this church. It's just an like an incredible thing to me. That's Um, very nice. Yes. Well, I try to be nice to you on occasion. I echo that affirmation. I want to piggyback on that. Dude, piggyback away. I'm on it. I'm on it. (laughs) Ryan, thanks for making time to be here, too. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, we'll be back. Um, We'll be back with Freestad later in this series, because this isn't the only time that we're going to hear from him. But uh, we're looking forward to next week, Ryan. You're going to be back in the saddle. Yep. Looking at Jesus in the storm. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) All right, friends, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. For more information about the series or our church, you can visit northcoastcalvarychapel.org. We also still have some copies of a special coffee table quality journal that we designed and put together to accompany this series in the Gospel of Mark. This whole podcast is a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel. It's produced and directed by Joseph Carlson. The editing has been done by Nate King, and the music is by the one and only Brian McMaster. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.